Welcome back to Hats Family to episode nine. I am your host, Tactical Probation Officer Chris. And Brittany, your favorite PO. We have Kevin. He is a probation and parole officer down south. Um, he is not in the same state as I am, but we're both down south and we're both probation and parole officers. Um, so, uh, Kevin, go ahead and say hi to the people. Hey, you too, Hats Family. The first question is on a scale to one to 10, with one being a social worker and 10 being a police officer, what scale or where do you fall? Where does your department fall on the two hat scale? Uh, I would say between a probably a four and a five. Um, they strive to be a five. Um, we are, our department right now is kind of super focused on uh, the reentry process. Uh, and preventing recidivism uh, through our offenders. Uh, so a lot of our uh, more recent policies have been geared more towards that and less towards the law enforcement aspect. Uh, but I would say it's, it's, it's probably pretty close to even. What made you decide to get into this skill to begin with? Um, so I was actually a military police officer. I joined uh, the Army Reserves as an MP my senior year in high school. Uh, so I knew that I kind of wanted to go into a law enforcement type field. Um, spent eight years doing that uh, as a military police officer. I had two uh, two, depl- two active duty deployments, one uh, stateside and then one to Iraq. Uh, when I got back, I kind of gave up, I guess, a little bit on the law enforcement side of things. I uh, worked a couple different jobs, uh, went to college, got my degree, uh, worked as a uh, automotive store manager, a pastor. Uh, my degrees are actually in religion and Christian ministry. Um, worked as a, a firearms instructor at a gun range for a little bit. Uh, and then I landed into a case management job on the mental health side of uh, uh, case management. And I worked in that for a year. And then a, uh, a few openings came available with probation and parole. Uh, and I thought, you know, it would be a good blend of my law enforcement background with my case management side of things on the mental health side. Uh, so I applied and wound up here. Oh my gosh, you have a lot of experience. This is going to be good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. And how long have you been a probation parole officer? Uh, I've been here for a year and two months now. Uh, I just uh, just got done with my year probation in November and uh, 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 got done with the FTO program a little bit before that. So go ahead and tell the audience FTO, what does that stand for in case they don't uh, know? The field training officer program. Uh, at our department, when you're hired, you actually will spend uh, a certain amount of uh, in-service training hours that you do over the computer. Uh, then you will actually go to, we have a five-week-long academy. Uh, you go to that academy, and then once the academy's done, you enter a field training officer program. Typically lasts between, I believe it's like four and six months uh, afterwards where you're kind of rolling around with the senior officer who's a field training officer, and they're kind of showing you the ropes out in the field, uh, how we conduct home visits, and that sort of thing. Wow. And this whole time that you're going through the academy and training, you are being uh, paid, right? Yes, yes. Yeah, okay. you're paid full time from day one. All your experience and all your background, especially in, uh, you know, in the ministry, um, how, how do you how, how does that relate over to dealing with the offenders? Well, because ministry in and of itself is you're, you have to be a people person. Uh, and as a PO, I believe that helps me kind of relate to my offenders more on a one-on-one, you know, street human level. Uh, but on the same note, you also have to bear in mind that I am your officer. While I do understand the problems you're going through and, and I empathize and I'll get you help, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm still required to supervise and I'm still law enforcement as well. Exactly. Exactly. Those two hats, you got to be able to switch between the two. And I think a lot of times the offenders really struggle with that because, mm-hmm. you know, when you first start out, they see us as very, very helpful person. Um, and then when they start messing up and we're giving them chances, because, you know, as Brittany always says, you know, you don't usually don't get locked up on the first, you know, first mess up. Yeah. Um, but as you know, you're building up these violations and it comes to the point where you got made that arrest it's like they can't understand. It's like, yeah. but you've been helping me with all this stuff this whole time, and now you're arresting me. Yeah, because now you're a public safety concern. You know what I mean? Like, you just picked up some new charges. You just, you've been testing positive for the last 
umpteen number of months. You know what I mean? You just got, got got kicked out of treatment that you're quartered to do. Yeah, now now we move over to the ten part of the scale. But a <laughs> yeah. lot of fighters they struggle with rectifying that. I don't know if I, I don't know if I experienced that the first time I had to arrest somebody. They're just like they just couldn't understand. Like, what are you what are you doing? Like, I don't care these handcuffs just for looks. You know, they do get used sometimes. When I was a military police officer, I did uh, garrison law enforcement. And so I was kind of a, like a civilian police officer on post. Uh, so I've actually arrested people by myself before. In our department, if we're putting handcuffs on somebody by policy, we have to have two officers present. And so I've actually had to foot chase down people and arrest them by myself before. So this was kind of kind of old hat, I guess. Okay. <laughs> Easy breezy. How well do you guys work? um with local law enforcement uh actually really well um i am one of two uh, members on our office's uh, liaison to law enforcement team uh so we're kind of the uh i guess the first step in the process if another agency needs our assistance or if we're needing another agency's assistance uh we're kind of that first step between us and them um locally uh I work for a state agency, and so we work with our state police very, very well, um, just because us, uh, our, our office and their office are the ones that uh, uh, administer the uh, sex offender registry, so we work very, very close with them on that. Uh, locally, our sheriff's department works very, very well with us. Um, they're kind of more uh, proactive, I guess, uh, so they are very receptive to going out on calls with us if we need assistance. Uh, very receptive if we go out on a home visit and we find a uh, a large amount of like narcotics or something like that they're very very easy to come out and back us up and take out new charges if they need to um our local pd in town uh they we work very well with them uh their policies are different than our sheriff's departments are uh so they try to help us as much as they can within their own policies um, but as far as our relationship with them, we've got a very, very good relationship with all of our local agencies. So that, uh, law enforcement liaison position, that's something that I, I've never heard of before. So tell, tell us some more about like, how did you get into that and what specifically do you have to do, um, in that position? Sure. Uh, I got into it, I guess, just because, uh, uh, on the two hat scale, I'm probably a eight or nine, I guess. I'm a, a lot more law enforcement driven, uh, just due to my history, uh, being, you know, military police and that sort of thing. Uh, and so when this position came available, it used to be that we just had one for our entire district, uh, but they found that one liaison officer can't keep a good relationship with all, you know, 25 to 30 local departments we have within that uh, district. And so they branched out and they're making a position for each office. Uh, when that uh, position with our office came available, I threw my kind of my name in the hat for it. I know uh, I'm very good friends with a lot of our deputies and a couple of the officers on our local PD. Uh, so I kind of already have that personal relationship built up with contacts there. Um, so I kind of threw my name in the hat for it. Primarily, I guess kind of the main reason that we have that position is to share information back and forth uh, with those agencies. And so I'm kind of their point of contact with them. Uh, if they have, if they're like, if our narcotics unit from our sheriff's department is investigating one of our offenders, but they're wanting to keep it kind of on the down low, but they need our help with something, they'll send that message to me and I'll pass it along to that, uh, that offender's officer uh, to kind of keep them in the loop that, hey, they're, they're looking, at, looking at your boy for drug charges or something like that. That way they can kind of, kind of keep an eye on that. Uh, and then if we have uh, an offender that we know is associated with someone that's not on paper and they're both involved in that criminal activity, we'll pass along that intelligence to local law enforcement as well. Do you, do you feel that local law enforcement really understand the roles of probation and parole officers? Um, and if so, is there any like uh, conflict um, between what you, your objectives are and what their objectives are? Uh, I think it depends on each department. Um, some departments I don't think do understand what our role is. They think that we're, you know, that we're just social workers. Um, our, our local sheriff's department, which I keep referring back to them because we do a lot of work with them. 
Uh, they do. Uh, we've got a very good relationship built built up with them. They know what our kind of what our policies are, and you know, if we go out on a call and and we know, okay, we're if we keep pushing this, we're going to be out of bounds as far as policy goes. They know not to keep pushing us. They know to okay, you you've done as much as you can do. Now we're going to have to take it from here. Um, but we have very good relationships with them. Um, kind of, you know, they'll roll us back up for us. Uh, and a lot of times if we're, if, if we're needed on their end for something, we'll drop what we're doing and go out and help them. Uh, but they, they have a very good understanding of that. Some departments don't, uh, they really don't understand. They think that we should, we're either completely social worker or completely law enforcement. And when we go out to the law enforcement side of things, they don't understand why, well, why can't you do this? Well, by our policy, we can't. <laughs> as far as that goes legally. Um, and that's the one thing that I also think that we kind of handcuff ourselves on sometimes is we don't communicate that well with those law enforcement agencies to where we don't, we don't say, hey, guys, if we can't go any further with this, and this is why. I, th- I think that's a, a common problem across the field um, of probation and parole is that we don't really talk too much about um, you know what it is like I don't know like when police officers go to the academy if they have a course on what it you know I know they they talk about court and what we have to how they have to present themselves in court how to testify and things like that but I don't know if they have if they don't take any uh if they have any hours of their certification that's required to talk about like corrections you know what I mean like what happens after you guys arrest people you know how does the prison system work how does uh probation and parole work and I don't think they get that so mm-hmm. Unless they, you know, get it from, you know, their FTO or their sergeant who has some experience, they don't get it. And then they kind of, they don't really know what we do. Um, yeah. And I do think that does lead to a lot of conflict. Um, like where I am, I want to say, you know, we work very well with our sheriff's office, but it's kind of like they call us when they need us. It's not like a joint venture where we're always kind of doing things together. Um like if they're doing a bigger operation and they kind of want our, our search powers, then mm-hmm. they'll call upon us. Um, I think less with the local PD. I think they just, they just don't understand what we do. Um, I don't really think they really want much to do with us. I think sometimes when we call them for assistance, they kind of give the impression that it's a, it's a nuisance to them. Not like we're not all working towards the same goals here. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, I definitely understand. So I really, really think it's a good idea that position that you guys have. Um, I think that's something that we should have here. Um, I think the kind of the higher ups try to play that role, but they're so disconnected from the actual field work. I don't think it's mm-hmm. a good idea, but you being an actual officer and having to work with these people day in, day out, it makes perfect sense to me that you're that liaison. Mm-hmm. Um, now you guys are broken out into, uh, I guess, uh, office in every County since you guys are a state agency? No, uh, within uh, our district, we have five satellite offices. Uh, We cover, I want to say 15 or so different counties, I believe. Uh, 15, good Lord. Yeah, it's the area that I'm in is very rural. Uh, So like our office alone, we kind of cover two of the counties as we cover one of the larger uh, counties. Well, actually it is the largest county uh, in the area. And so I cover a, I guess it would be suburban uh, city, but it's the most urban city in this area uh, that I'm in. And then uh, we cover that county and then we cover an extremely rural county. Um, And then there's some of our other satellite offices cover, you know, five to six counties. Wow, that's a, that sounds like a lot of driving. <laughs> it is, and thank goodness they pay mileage. <laughs> okay. Oh, so are you guys issued cars? Or you have to use your own personal cars. Uh, each each office has, uh, I think, at least one state ban for transportation assigned to it, and then our office we actually have a uh, very very junky Ford Focus that's assigned to us as well. Wow. Well, I got. I definitely uh, feel, feel appreciative for who I work for. That's getting everyone gets their own car, their own take home car, and I definitely appreciate that. Um, because I understand how that is. Back when I worked in juvenile back in PA, we had some county cars, but they weren't always available. 
Um, and most of the time we had to use our own cars and had, you know, you know, put in for mileage, mm-hmm. um, which I worked in a large county and I think it was told me it was 30 miles to the area that I covered and 30 miles back a day, that's 60 miles a trip. Um, yeah, that can definitely wear in your car pretty uh, intently. Kevin, on average, how many offenders do you supervise monthly? How many are in your caseload? That's changed a lot considerably just recently. Uh, when I started, when I got out of the academy, I had 135 on my caseload. Right now, oh. I am I am on the low end. Uh, I have 80. Oh, dang. Oh, that still hurts. <laughs> that still hurts. Oh, good Lord. So why has it gone from 130-something to 80? Uh, a lot of turnover. When I started, our office was very shorthanded. Uh, and so we've actually hired in quite a few new people. Uh, and so that's actually helped with our uh, caseloads going down. Oh, that's nice. Because now you get more time to pay attention to all those violations. Uh, okay, that's nice. Yep. Yeah, I bet the officers are happy, huh? Yeah, it, it's a lot easier. Uh, it's a lot easier for me to keep track of 80 offenders. And and not just the violations, but, you know, what, what are their specific needs? Uh, you know, do they have a substance abuse problem where I need to focus on getting them in to see our clinician and getting them treatment? Um, I've got one offender who, bless his heart, he's, he can't hold a residence to save his life so I can get him into the community resources we've got available to help him get housing and that sort of thing as well. Do you guys have a lot of resources at your disposal to refer people to? In our county, we do. Um, some of the other counties, not so much. Um, uh, there's a, a district that's very close to us. That's actually where I'm originally from. Uh, they don't remotely have the resources that we have uh, in our county, and it's just because we're a larger, a larger area. It's compared to a place like Chicago. It's definitely we're more definitely suburban, but for our area, we're definitely larger, more urban. That was one of the things that I hated most about working as a PO is like you want to help these people, but there were limited resources where I was. Mm. But Chris, I know you guys have some things that you refer people to, right? You have resources we, there. We actually, for our county, size-wise, we're not a big county, but population-wise, we have a pretty good population-wise. I think we're like the third or fourth highest population in, in the state. Um and we have we have a ton of resources. Um, I think a lot of the issues is getting the offenders to want to commit to and taking advantage of the resources. Um, that's always the hardest thing. But when they do get enrolled, I mean, there's just so much um, available to them. You know, you get involved in one program, and then they might realize you have another need and refer you to another program, and they refer you to another program where I mean, literally, you can get all your needs met. Um, because there's all kind of grants and things like that these different programs get. But see, there's a lot of things that people don't understand with probation and parole is that is the case management aspect of what we do. And it's really a big part, you know, we have two hats. So the social worker part is dealing with that case management, getting them the resources, getting people what they need so that we can hopefully um, reduce their recidivism rate. Um, so Kevin, what I want, I want you to do is talk, talk a little bit about the case management. How do you, how do you manage 80 people? How do you, um, you know, keep track of them, uh, keep track of their individual conditions, keep track of their individual needs? How do you do it? Uh, one of the things that I actually kind of, I guess, pride myself on a little bit coming from the case management on the mental health side of things to this, uh, I'm very good at interviewing. Uh, uh, I think they called it at the Academy Motivational Interviewing, uh, but I'm very good at just sitting down and talking to, you know, talking to them one-on-one, um, you know, just finding out, okay, how's, how's life? You know, how's you, are you working anywhere right now? How's the job going? Um, the wife and kids, are they doing okay? Just getting personal with them. That'll help identify a lot of needs that they have. Uh, knowing the area, uh, you know, if they tell me, Hey, I live at this one specific address, I probably know, well, is this address going to be transitional where they're not going to be there very long and move, or is this going to be a, you know, more stable residence for them. Um, and then just kind of, I mean, just, it's mainly just knowing your people. Um, and then coming from the case management mental health side, I'd already known a lot of, a lot of the resources in the area because we share a lot of the same resources as probation and parole does when I came out of the case management side. Uh, and then our 
the organization that I work for on the outside is actually our local state uh, mental health organization as well. They do all of uh, SAP IOP and those sort of uh, uh, treatment programs for our offenders. Uh, so it's easy for me to contact back to them and say, hey, I've got this offender that's struggling with this. I don't know of a resource. What do you guys have? Uh, and they can help me out on that. And then within our department as well, we actually have reentry officers uh, that work alongside us that they help facilitate all these programs and can connect to resources. Uh, just recently, our district is uh, we're the pilot program for this new grant that they just got through the state uh, that allows us to circumvent the transportation barrier with our offenders. So if we have an offender that says, hey, I can't I can't make it down to the office. Okay, cool. I'll get you a ride. We have this transportation yes. program that will come pick you up and bring you down here. Oh, that's nice. Oh, I can't make it to I can't make it to treatment. Okay, cool. I will get you a ride to treatment through this program. And it's free. And it's free. That it's, is so nice. That's oh. good. We had that we had that back in juvenile back in PA. We can arrange rides for the juveniles to get them to treatment and things like that. So that's really that is definitely good trying to take ten, uh, knock down those barriers mm-hmm. um, to treatment and to getting help. That's really good. So that who pays for that though? Like, would that be the state that pays for that? It's a, it's a grant that pays the state to run the program. Wow. You know what? I had a question for both of you. Since you guys do probation and parole, how is it like, are fees different for each one or how does it work? Because a lot of times I had an issue with people having to get extended on probation. I didn't do parole um, because they couldn't pay the probation fees. Now I know here in the state where I'm at for parole, you know, they don't really have to pay those fees. They'll still let them go. Um, let the case expire. So is it different there? Ours are. Um, our parolees, uh, our, our parole, we have two different types of parole. Uh, we have normal parole and what's called mandatory reentry supervision. Uh, both those are all on the, the state side. Uh, those are, they always pay $25 a month for uh, supervision fees. Uh, then on our probation side, it varies per county. Um, the local county is typically $30 a month that they pay. Um, some of the more rural counties I've seen anywhere from no supervision fees whatsoever to five to $10. What? We charge people $60 a month. And mind you, like these people don't have jobs. A lot of them didn't have jobs. So it was, it was really sucky that you had to extend somebody keep them on there longer. And when you keep them on there, they would typically get more fees for those additional months. It was like, Oh my gosh, it's crazy. (laughs) We, we, and now that's just the basic supervision fee. We also, they have a $10 a month drug testing fee that they have to pay whether they're drug screened or not. Uh, So it adds up with, with ours. Uh, And a lot of them, they have additional financial obligations. Uh, The majority of what we see is restitution that holds people on. Uh, yes. they'll wind up with fifteen, twenty thousand dollars restitution and then only be required to pay on it for $25 a month. If you're only paying $25 a month on a $20,000 restitution, you're going to go way over your parole. And the way our policy is, is if you're on probation or parole and no restitution, you don't leave paper until it's paid off. So for, oh, you said for both probation and parole, same thing. Yes. Oh, okay. Oh, wow. But there is a max. Is there a max? Is there a statute in the law or something like there's a max amount of years a person can be on probation? Because there is here. Not, not with us. Oh, uh, really? Oh, wow. I, I've, I've actually got people that are on parole for life. Uh, I've got other ones. It, it, once they once they skip over their release date and they still owe restitution, our system kicks them over to their release date being uh, 2099. But they're on until they pay it off. Oh my God. <laughs> that sounds like uh, the same thing in the United Kingdom. I interviewed this PO in the UK and she said the same thing. I'm like, what? I didn't know we had that here in uh, this country, mm-hmm. this amazing country. Yeah. <laughs> Where I'm at, we have a, um, five years maximum you could be on probation. Um, now, the biggest thing on our supervision fees for probation and parole are both the same, they're both $40 a month. Um, the way it usually works, though, is if they don't pay it, we take them back to court. And usually the judges, they'll either um, remit it at that point, depending on if they did everything they're supposed to do and they were doing fine. And the only thing that was keeping them back was the money. They'll, they'll just waive it or remit it. Um, in terms of restitution, they um, s- some judges will keep them on probation longer, give them more time. 
to pay and then then um waive any future uh supervision fees so only thing they really have to pay is just the restitution um then you have some judges i think they can do is what's called docket as a civil judgment which is they basically kind of it's kind of like you owe you owe the state that money um it comes up it shows up in your credit report it can affect you getting a job affect you getting a job getting loans and mm-hmm. things like that it's like a civil debt that That's you owe to the state well it's either it's either that or you don't get off probation, so they're both bad. I mean, <laughs> yeah, but I mean, in theory, they they committed a crime. They they hurt a victim. They owe that person this money. Now, a, a lot of problems that the victims don't understand is that we can't force these people to pay. You can't get you can't get blood out of stone. You know what I'm saying? And we'll you know we'll have we'll have victims call us like, hey, I haven't gotten any payments. What's going on? I can't tell you anything about their case, but I mean, clearly, if you haven't gotten a payment, that means they haven't made a payment. Um, and then, like I said, a lot of, you know, some judges, they'll waive restitution depending on who it's. If it's like a business, I say, you, you know, you, you stole from like Walmart, you stole a bunch of stuff from Walmart or something. They'll, the judge will say, well, that money, that money is insured, so they'll just waive it. Mm. But if it's like an individual person, like you stole somebody's car or you robbed somebody, um, then, like I said, they'll either require them to pay it and extend their probation, but it can only be up to five years, or they'll, um, like I said, a docket is a civil judgment where now you owe the state that money and it doesn't go away. Um, what do sanctions look like for when people don't pay? Um, you know, your court order to pay monthly or whatever. What do sanctions look like for you, Kevin, on your caseload? Uh, since COVID kicked off, um, a lot of our offenders have struggled paying restitution. Um, and for the most part, we've been kind of working with them on it. Uh, you know, as long as they're making an effort to try to try to get out, keep working and paying. Uh, Cause I would say, I would say over probably 60 to 70% of my caseload was laid off during uh, COVID, the ones that were working. Uh, so we, we work with them on that uh, just recently since everything's starting to open back up with us. Um, we've been on them about paying, making sure you make a payment, uh, by policy. If they don't make a payment within three months, we can actually seek to revoke their community supervision. Um, and so we kind of use that as an incentive, Hey, you know, make a payment or I'm gonna have to put you back in front of the releasing authority. Um, but as far as sanctions, we have a matrix that we follow, uh, as far as sanctions goes. uh, officers will do everything from, uh, adding community service uh, on them and the officers can actually impose these sanctions themselves. They don't, uh, they don't need to stick them back in front of the uh, releasing authority to do it. Um, But we can uh, add community service. Uh, Some of the officers, if it's a habitual thing where the person's just not paying and just not paying, uh, we can put them on what's called discretionary detention with our supervisor's approval where, okay, you don't want to pay. You're going to serve the weekend. Really? Yeah. Wow, that's good. I mean, not good for them, but that's yeah. amazing that you guys have that kind of power. Wow. Yeah, we we have a lot at our disposal that keeps keeps us from having to put them in front of the judges or the parole board. Uh, and by the time they typically get to the judge or the parole board, the judge and the parole board realize, okay, they've ex- that you know they've exercised all these graduated sanctions on them, and they're not taken. Uh, so they know that okay, well now it's time to knuckle down on them. I'm, I'm yeah, just similar here. <laughs> oh, you do? You could put people in jail for not doing community service. I mean, not paying. We for for money related things, we don't. I, mean, um, I know officers really don't want to do that, but I'm saying you have the ability. Do you? I mean, we could because it is a condition, but I've never seen anyone do it. I've never seen a supervisor talk about doing it. It's just one of those things where you know the money is we'll just address it when we get to court. Because, I mean, everybody's situation is different, um, and we understand that. And I want to say it's, it's very rare that we actually have people successfully complete probation and pay all their money and do everything they're supposed to do. It's very rare. I'm really? <laughs> most, of the time, most of the time, people get off probation because we violate, they get close to the end of their term, we violate them, take them back to court, and then either the judges terminate it. Or a judge will say, you know what, serve 10 days and then you're done. You know what I mean? That, those kind of things happen. Um, nowadays, they're just terminating people left and right because of COVID and not wanting to put people into the jail. 
Um, Maybe terminating them early or just upon their uh, release date for their probation? It, it, it depends on uh, the condition, the, the situation that led to their violation. So let's say they're not reporting or they're constantly testing positive. I violate them. They, they might only be six months into a two-year term. Um, I might violate them, take it back to in front of the judge. And, you know, the, DA, the public defender will get up there and, oh, COVID this and COVID that. And my client can't get a job and blah, blah, blah. He can't get to treatment. And there's all these, you know, the, hey, listen, the public defenders, they, they put up a good argument. I don't know how they are everywhere, but here where I'm at, they put up some good arguments. And a lot of time the judge was just like, you know, terminating. We're sitting there like, you, I, you can't. It's frustrating to us because we put all this effort into it. And you're basically telling the offender, well, you committed a crime, you got on probation, you didn't follow the rules, and your reward is you get off probation. But I feel like this is unprecedented times, though, because I'm sure before COVID, it wasn't that easy, right? For them to just yeah, violate, go to jail and get off or whatever. The problem is the, the crime rate's up. It is, yeah, it, it is. is. You know, I mean, our, the number of shootings we've been having is like, I think it was double what it was pre, pre-Rona. You know, oh the, crime, the crime rate's just up. And I think, I don't think it's just COVID and the economic situation. I think it's a combination of things. I think that's a part of it. I think gang violence is a part of it. And the other part of it is I think that a lot of people aren't being held accountable um, when they do get in trouble for the smaller things. And then that just leads them to thinking, well, I'm going to do whatever I want. Because, I mean, I got in trouble. I got put on probation. They let me go. And I didn't follow any of the rules, you know? And they're actually finding the people they're arresting on these more serious crimes. When they look back at their history, they're like, "Oh, they were on probation. They didn't. They didn't. They, that was unsuccessful. You know, they got terminated early. They violated, and the judge let them go. And they went out and committed a more heinous crime. So I, I think it's a it's a problem. But the way I, from my experience, this stuff kind of goes in cycles." They'll get real soft on the offenders. The crime will go up. Then the, the hammer will drop. And then the crime goes down. And then they go back to being soft. And it just kind of cycles. Um, that's how it was back when I was an officer in PA doing juveniles. Um, the judges would go from being real soft to everybody. to Then the juveniles are running amok. Then it's, they all get locked up. And then the numbers go down. And then it's let's be soft on them again. And this is just a cycle. It's frustrating to us because we put all this work in. We're trying to really do our jobs and hold people accountable. And then someone higher than us is making these decisions and you're sitting there in court like, I'm asking for revocation and they get terminated. And you're you're sitting there like, you look like a fool. But I have to ask for what I have to ask for because that's what our policy says. That's what my supervisor told me to ask for. And how is it where you are? Uh, it's it it's a pendulum swing, um, and the funny thing is, our on a, as far as our probationers go, our judges have done almost the polar opposite of what everyone would think they would do uh, with coronavirus being in place. Uh, before, let's say an offender had a number of uh, positives, you could put in for revocation all you want. That judge is more than likely going to just sanction them for treatment. Uh, versus now, since COVID has happened, I've had I've had people who. I wanted to revoke, but then the the uh, public defenders contacted me and we talked about, you know, their substance abuse history and that sort of thing. And public defender worked out on getting them a bad date. And I said, you know, that's something that I'm okay with. We get to court and the judge is like, no, I'm revoking your probation. You're now state inmate. Ooh, and boy. so it's, it's considerably different. Uh, as far as like the restitution stuff goes with us, it's a lot harder to get a probationer revoked on restitution just because the judge knows if they're in prison, they're not paying nothing. Right. Making any money versus if I leave them on the street, they're going to be paying that money. There, there's at least a chance they'd be paying. That. Let's swing gears a little bit, Kevin. Let's talk about what kind of, what kind of equipment and safety equipment are you guys issued in your state? Uh, we are issued a firearm. We carry a, a Glock 2340 Cal, uh, we carry uh, handcuffs, obviously, and then uh, pepper spray. And that is it as far as our uh, defensive uh, utility uh, goes. We're, uh, we obviously, we carry a uh, vest. We, we're required to wear a vest when we go out in the field. Uh, we actually wear an external uh, vest with molly webbing uh, and that sort of thing, but we're limited on what we can carry on it. They don't want us looking too, I guess, military-ish 
when we go out in the field. Um, as far as my personal setup, I've got uh, those issue things on my belt. I also carry a, a, a glove pouch just because I ain't catching Rona off nobody. <laughs> I'm going to have a glove <laughs> a mask on and everything else. Um, and then on my vest, I carry a uh, individual first aid kit, uh, trauma gauze, uh, uh, a couple tourniquets. Uh, I actually carry a, uh, uh, we carry in our cars, we carry Narcan in our cars. I actually carry a personal dose on me in case I'm exposed to it. That way, not only do I have what's in the car to give to an offender, but if I'm exposed to it as well, I can Narcan myself. Uh, and then I carry a flashlight on me. That sounds like a lot. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually not a lot compared to most departments. Uh, a lot of departments get issued tasers and, uh, uh, batons and that sort of thing. We're we're on the very very low end as far as how many use of force options we have. Do you guys Three. usually have all of that? You know, I know you have it in the field, but when you're in the office, do you have all of that stuff too, like on your person? Uh, by policy, we're not required to carry when we're in the office uh, and wear our belts. Um, uh, we have a duty officer and an assistant duty officer every day that work that do wear that are that are armed all at all times. Uh, there are some officers like myself who are kind of more law enforcement bent anyway, I guess. Uh, I'm used to wearing a patrol belt every day, uh, so I typically keep mine on me. Uh, there are very few occasions. If I've got court or something that day, I may not put it on just because I'll be putting it on, taking it off, you know, all day long. Uh, I wish that we had had, we have some sort of uh, dress holster or something that we could wear when we're in our court apparel because uh, I, I – I carried a gun on me 24 hours a day anyway before I was even in probation and parole. So that's something that I'm comfortable with, uh, always having my gun on me. Uh, so I wish we had that sort of option when we were in our court clothes and that sort of thing. Uh, but unfortunately, we don't. We, we wear a patrol belt, uh, external patrol belt. Hey, listen, I, I, I put my suit on. I put my patrol. I put my, uh, my duty belt on. I put my suit jacket over it. <laughs> it is what it is all the time. Are, are you guys able to carry in court? Uh, we can, um, uh, uh, anytime we go over to the courthouse for anything, uh, especially if it's, you know, just normal picking up paperwork, that sort of thing, we're always armed anyway, so that we can, uh, a lot of us don't, if we're in our actual court, court clothes, just because, you know, we, like I said, we really, I mean, it would literally be a patrol belt, <laughs> patrol belt and slacks. Um, but, uh, some of our, like our PSI riders are in there, sometimes they have their, uh, uh, pepper spray and handcuffs and stuff on them. Okay. Yeah, I, I kind of. We have the same issue here where we have certain officers that I feel like they go out of their way to try to find reasons not to wear their duty gear, and to me, it just blows my mind. Um, I mean, we're, you're in this position where you have to be able to take you know, just because you might not be ready at that moment to arrest somebody doesn't mean that somebody doesn't recognize you and think like, "Oh man, I remember when he locked me up," and they might be looking some kind of uh, you know revenge or something. Like, I don't know a lot of officers they'll go to court and not, not bring their firearms. Um, personally, like I said, I, I, I'm like you. I have it on me all the time. Um, on duty, off duty, doesn't matter. I, 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 I'm, I'm going to have a firearm on me. Um, but especially when I'm working, though, and I'm definitely always have it on me. I know Brittany is not used to this kind of life. They gave her a badge and a, and a, and a well wishes is what she was issued. <laughs> because you have to remember, you guys do both probation and parole, so I do feel like that is something that plays a role in that when people are looking for this type of work they have to realize you can be more so like me just probation more of a social worker and or like y'all and y'all just like cops I mean <laughs> that's what it seems like it is and and I know with like in our office we have we have every type of officer we have some that are that wouldn't carry if you know it's not I guess it's not that they wouldn't carry it's that's just not like when they're off duty they don't carry because to them that's that's their work thing and that's it uh they're they're what i would i would say more social work driven uh but then you have officers like myself who are more law enforcement driven that we kind of pick up that slack in the office as well i I don't even think parole in the state of texas i don't even think they carry firearms like they're i think think they have i think they have the option i was was watching something i think in texas they have the option to but then they have to i need to get a we need to get a texas uh parole officer on here I know yeah, a few. <laughs> set it up, set it up. Um, going back to what you were saying about a different kind of officers, 
And I understand people that listen, uh, especially those trying to get into the field, and it might be people that are apprehensive about carrying a firearm. If that's how you feel, find a position or department where that's not required. But my thing is that if you have to carry a firearm, like in my state, you're, you have to. Um, if you don't pass firearms, you, you, they, they, they let you go. Um, it's as simple as that. But then you have people that do, that do pass, but then they don't really want to carry it. They don't really take it seriously. And, you know, I got to remind them, like, you have this, you have this thing on you. Like, like there've been issues. In, I remember one girl, um, we were in court and she walked over to the, the jail line and she was talking to one of her offenders. I guess she had to give him some papers or something. And she was standing with her firearm right next to him. And when she was done, she came back. I was like, hey, come here. She was like, what's up? I was like, hey, listen, I don't know if you were noticed. I know you're just trying to, you know, do what you had to do. But when you were standing next to him, your firearm was right there. He's handcuffed in the front, not behind his back. He could easily have gotten your firearm. And she kind of just blew it off. Like, 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 what are you talking about? It's not a problem. You know what I mean? And I'm like, okay, okay. If that's how you feel. But to me, that's not safe. Yeah. But do you feel, do you guys have to, I guess, draw your weapon often on offenders? Kevin, you specifically. Um, I have. Uh, I'm one of the, I, I, I'm one of the exceptions in our office, I guess. Um, I constantly volunteer to go to the field. That's kind of where, you know, I, I'm comfortable with the law enforcement aspect of things. Uh, and so I've had to, you know, I've had to pull my, firearm multiple times to clear houses um i actually had a uh, uh we were picking up an absconder that with our sheriff's department detectives who they were investigating them for new charges but he was also absconded from us and they just happened to get his location uh we went out and when i went back to the bedroom where this this offender and his girlfriend were at as soon as i entered the room they both put their like shot their hands underneath the covers on their bed, on down in bed, and so they got they got a gun pulled on them pretty quick. Um, so that's that doesn't bother me pulling my firearm. I've never had to obviously never had to discharge it. Thankfully, in this year I've been here, I'm sure I probably wouldn't have my job if I had been on probation. Uh, but uh, uh, that's something. Well, having my firearm in my hand that doesn't bother me. I I did a combat tour in Iraq, so when I was in the army, so I, firearms are kind of kind of a necessity there. So it's it's just kind of translates over here. Uh, but I seem to be the uh, field officer. I guess you could say the arrest officer in our office. Uh, a couple of my uh, co-workers have nicknamed me Canine Kevin because <laughs> I have to go out on all the drug calls and all the arrests and everything else. Uh, I've had to pepper spray an offender already within the first year of being here. What? Tell me more about that. Why? What happened? <laughs> uh, I won't get into a lot of specific. No, don't be specific. <laughs> yeah, um, it would. Myself and another officer were out on a community complaint on one of his offenders. Um, and it was just a routine, easy peasy, in and out sort of community complaint. As we were stopped at a stop sign heading back to the office, one of my absconders rolled straight past us on a bicycle, and uh, we were we were in a car. We attempted to uh, get him to stop. He didn't want to stop. Um, the only option we had was to deploy pepper spray from the car. Oh, oh wow. <laughs> and, Did a and, and I guess as they say, that's when the fight started. <laughs> oh my God. So the, he was on parole. Is it? Uh, this one, the, he was on probation. Oh, okay. Yeah. He's since, uh, he didn't even make it to his revocation hearing, uh, during motion hour. He actually requested the judge just outright revoke him cause he couldn't be, uh, he didn't feel like he could be supervised in the community setting. Do you guys see, do you, uh, what else is the question I'm trying to ask? Oh my God. Um, I guess the revocation rate, is it high where you are? Or do you get a lot of people who actually successfully complete? Chris, you already said <laughs> y'all begin people revoked. I would say it depends on the caseload. Uh, the majority of normal, uh, what we call normal caseload officers, uh, the revocation rate I would say is pretty high. Uh, but that's because we're supervising the offenders that are higher risk. Uh, so we'll have what's called a low caseload officer that has low risk offenders that their numbers are astronomical compared to the offenders that we supervise because they don't see them every month. Uh, so like our, our low caseload, 
they actually mail in a report to us uh, two months. And then on the third month, they come in in person. Uh, and those, those officers will supervise. Uh, I think one of our officers has close to 300 on her caseload that she supervises that's low. Yeah. Those are the offenders that typically don't recidivate and they they get off after their time's over. So I'm, I'm wondering, is it more beneficial to have officers, tactical officers like you guys? Does that help reduce the rate of recidivism or not? That's my question. I've been wanting to know yeah. that for a long time. <laughs> I don't know. Like with my offenders, I have a really good rapport with the majority of them. Uh, the majority of them know, you know, hey, if I cross him or something, that he can he can become that cop really, really quickly. But the majority of them that I've seen in person, they see my degrees. They know I was a pastor at one point. And so they feel like they can open up and talk to me and everything. So I don't know that the tactical side really comes into effect much. Hmm, okay. I would agree with that. But the, the tactical side is more towards the community protection side, you know, we're not, we're not arresting every offender for every violation, you know. Um, it's mostly the ones that are doing the things that are putting the community at risk. And that's where, that's where, the, uh, that's where the law enforcement hack comes on. You know, the people you know are you still using, the ones that are still selling drugs, the ones that are there committing the crimes while they're on supervision. Um, those, are, those are the ones. So... Like, I think, let me see, I do drug court. The most recent guy I arrested was he violated his house arrest. I mean, he literally got on and was told, you cannot leave the house without permission. You need to approve the window of time in order to leave the house. And you have to go where you're telling me you're going. You got to come back when you told me you're going to be back. He just did what he wanted. Every day, come and go, come and go, come and go. I'll go out of the county, come back, do what he wanted to do. And it's just like, at that point, my hands are tied. You're on house arrest. It's it's either you're in you're arrested in your house or you're arrested in jail which one do you want the judge gave you the house option so you can sit home eat some steak eat some shrimp watch some football <laughs> but your actions landed you in jail so man it is what it is um and that's just you know community protection i think that's yeah. the that's the biggest thing that i i i support is community correction uh community protection yeah that's with, with us you know I would say out of all of my offenders that have violations, very, very few of them wind up back in jail. If it's something like a, you know, just a positive or something like that, we're going to get you hell. I don't want to lock you up. Uh, locking you up is really not going to help matters until you make it to where that's all, that's the only option. My hands are tied uh, with us. Things like absconding, uh, getting new felony arrests, uh, especially felony arrests. If it's a DUI or something, that stuff's no bueno. And you're going to, the community protection side comes out then. Exactly. Exactly. Um, Kevin, so since you're only about a year, a year in, what do you, what do you see yourself going? Is there like a specific kind of specialty caseload you want to get? Is there a particular specialty unit you want to get into? Um, do you looking to get move on to management? Where do you see yourself going as a new officer um, down the road? Um. I plan on retiring from my department, hopefully. Uh, I'm a little older. Uh, I'm getting returned 40 this year. So my my time as far as jumping around jobs is, is over with. So I plan on staying here. Um, I know that eventually I want to do a uh, sex offender caseload at some point uh, just to have the experience doing it. I don't want to make that, you know, what I do for the rest of my career. Uh, but I do want the, you know, the experience because our sex offenders, sex offender officers have a completely different set of rules they play with uh, versus ours, uh, just because it's a completely different type of supervision. Um, I want to do that. Um, the liaison to law enforcement was something I wanted to check off my list eventually. And so I got to do that pretty early in my career. Uh, eventually I would like to do uh, 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 be the fugitive team leader for our district uh, at some point. Uh, that's one of the things that I really, really enjoy is, uh, trying to track down absconders uh, and, you know, through, you know, tips and information, social media, that sort of thing. I actually, uh, I actually, that's one of the things that I actually had fun doing, I guess, <laughs> just tracking people down. Um, uh, so I'd like to do that eventually. Uh, and I know that probably towards the end of my career, I'll be a little older, so I probably won't be able to 
get out and uh, get out into the field as easily, I guess. Right. <laughs> so I pretty well know that probably towards the end of my career, I want to try to move into uh, one of the supervisory roles. Um, prior to that, you know, I'd like to do the FTO program. I'd like to be a field training officer, a firearms instructor, that sort of thing. Okay. Okay. And for those listening, we do have an episode with, uh, we do interview a sex offender officer. So definitely look that one up. And we also have a episode on absconding with a, a fugitive unit officer. So definitely listen to that one too. So you can get some uh, more background into what Kevin's goals are, um, you know, for you guys references. So uh, Kevin, so question for you, uh, so we can wrap this up is, do you have any questions for us? What is something that you want to ask us um, about, Anything that you want. Uh, I don't know if I really have any. Um, so do you guys find that I know, I know, Brittany, you only supervise probationers, right? Right. And then I know Chris has probation and parole. Do you find, Chris, that which do you find uh, violate more, probation or parolees? Probation. <laughs> no, hands down, <laughs> probationers violate more, and it's because they – either have experiences with the court system and they know the judges are pretty lenient where I am or um, they have somebody had they know somebody that has been involved in the system and they they've been told oh man listen if you do xyz the judges let you know just terminate you and let you go so I, I do find uh, probationers tend to violate more um, and a big part is because we don't really revoke people like I think we should we really don't revoke them um, now the parolees, they've been to prison, they've done time, time, you know what I mean? And generally they don't want to go back. I want to say I have a higher success rate with my parolees than I do with my probationers. Uh, mm-hmm. Are there some parolees that do go back or they might go back for like a, a short re-imprisonment and then get back out on parole? Um, that does happen. Um, but I do find, I want to say my success rate with parolees is probably like 70% where my success rate with probationers is probably like for those actually successfully complete probation, not terminated, but there's actually successfully complete man. Successfully complete is probably like 10%. <laughs> I'm just, I mean, I'm being honest. I, Cause there's, there's paperwork we have to do when they successfully complete. I can't remember the last time I had to pull that form up to complete it. That's how bad it is. I can't remember. Do you feel like that's a direct reflection of how you supervise people or you feel like that's just how people are? I think it's the way the system is set up here and where I'm at. So you could be like the best PO ever and the rate of success will still be that low across the board, you think, where you are? I would say so. I would say so. I mean, I haven't heard from any other officer that has disagreed with um, the same kind of outcomes I'm having. Um, I think I'm a pretty fair and balanced officer compared to some others. And I'm like, if my success rate is that low, being a fair and balanced officer, I don't see it being a higher success rate. If you're really hard, you're like a seven or eight on the scale, or if you're a, you know, one or two on the scale, I don't, I don't, there's officers like that. And they're not telling me they're having higher success rates than I am. Oh, Kevin, you agree. You're shaking your head. Yes. Y'all Kevin <laughs> is nodding his head. Like, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, ours ours is very similar. Um, I think that's going to change here soon. Uh, our state just passed a, a new policy. Previously, only our parolees got uh, program credit and good time credit off their uh, end dates for completing, you know, uh, MRT or treatment program or something like that. Uh, they just passed a new bill to where our probationers get time off of their end dates for the same things. Oh, nice. And so I'm okay with that. Our, that's a good incentive. Yeah, it, it, it is. And I think that's going to raise our completion rate, I think. Uh, but I found the same thing with our probationers. If it is a straight probationer, they've never done, you know, they've never actually done hard time in prison or anything like that. They are probably, their success rate is probably not going to be very high. Uh, my parolees that I have, unless they're a probationer who was revoked and then was immediately released on parole. We have that happen uh, a lot. Uh, if it's one of one of those type of parolees, their success rate is probably not very high either. The majority of parolees on my caseload are all people who've spent 10, 15 years in prison. And so the ones that have spent a long amount of time in prison, they are very, very likely not to go back. So do you even think probation is effective? 
I this did. can be off the record, by the way. No, <laughs> no, no, no. Keep this on the record. No. I think I think no, people no, need no, to hear it, this. They need to I hear just, this. I, I just want to know. I do. Um, I do. I wish there, and I don't even know what the answer to this would be, but I wish that there was a better way to determine who would be a good candidate for probation. Uh, obviously, we've got the PSI process and that sort of thing, but I don't really think that identifies who would be a good candidate and who wouldn't be. Um, I think it helps, but I don't. I just I think it's at the end of the day, it's still kind of a judgment call on the judge's part. Uh, and so, you know, it's kind of a kind of a fifty-fifty toss a coin sort of shot on who's good for probation, who's not. The ones who are good candidates are typically our low. They're the ones that are on our low caseloads. Uh, and so those are the ones who they're set up for success right off the bat because it's it's somebody like a 40 some odd year old middle-aged man who's for this is his first felony ever and it just have to be a DUI we're never going to see him again he's going to ride his time out and he's going to be gone and that's the end of it uh, versus this person's been arrested 12 times for narcotics charges and you know he's still actively using he used while he was on bond had his bond revoked or something like that that's probably not a very good candidate for probation because he's he's not he didn't follow the rules before he's probably not gonna follow the rules now do you guys know if like probation is uh, a part of like a person's right like i have this i don't know if it's different in different states but like for an offense you have the right to get probation or you have the you don't have the right is that a thing because i don't even know i don't think it's a right it's a privilege okay it's a privilege avoid spending time in prison it's definitely a privilege but I don't think it's I don't think it's something that like every person should be afforded the opportunity to. Oh, okay, okay, okay. I didn't know that. I mean, I think probation has its purpose. Um, I don't think it should be a right. Um, I mean, everything should be situationally dependent um, on the situation, the offense that he committed. Um, you know, I think I think people deserve a chance. Even the ones where you know I might get a file and look at him, like ah, he ain't gonna make it. I think I still I still think that person deserves a chance because you know at any point something something can click in that person, you know what I mean? The stars can align. They can have a new girlfriend who's going to crack down on them and make sure they do what they have to do um, that they didn't have before their prior offenses. It could be anything. It could be their mother's sick and they really want to be in the community to help take care of their elderly parent or whatever. And I've had those too. I think that. Everyone deserves a chance to try probation, but I think in the end, you know, you can look at someone's record sometimes and be like, I know there's some DAs that will call us and be like, hey, listen, hey, you had this person before, they got these new offenses, what do you think? And I'll I'll tell them, they're not going to be successful in probation. And they're like, you know what, I'll go ahead and tell the judge that, you know, and they'll go ahead and give them their time. Um, But, you know, I I think everyone deserves a chance. and I think that's the best way to look at it. Mm-hmm. Give them the chance to, to show whether they're going to do it or not. I know there's a lot of people that they just take the plea. I know this upsets Brittany all the time. They just take the plea because they don't want to go to jail. They get on probation and either one, they're not going to do probation the way it's supposed to be done or two, they're just going to abscond. Mm-hmm. And that's just a part of it. For the people who are listening and you want to become a probation or a parole officer, that's a part of it. You're not going to have everyone that just wants to do probation and wants to be successful. There's going to be some that come on and the next week they're not coming back. <laughs> yep, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I've had people get on. Yeah, I don't ever see them. I get the file. I can, the address is fake. The phone number is fake. They're just gone. Yeah, we, we have some that come straight from sentencing like that, that they, they, they never, between the the literally we're right across the street from the courthouse so between just crossing the street they have gone <laughs> <laughs> report to us from sentencing <laughs> hey, they walk out of jail like oh squirrel yep. they're gone. <laughs> <laughs> oh man hey kevin man we appreciate your time we appreciate you being a part of the two hats family um definitely uh keep working your magic over there and uh you know doing the best you can for your offenders because in the end it's their decision to make we're going to guide them yep Thank you, Kevin, for joining us on today's episode. I really enjoy hearing how things are done in your department. And Chris over here. I enjoyed it, too. Um, it was a great, a great interview. Um, Kevin dropped a lot of knowledge on us. And uh, just listening to his background and how he got into the field, I think that's very um, inspiring for a lot of people. You don't have to be somebody that's fresh out of college. You can have some, you can have some years on you. You can have some miles on the road. 
and still get into this field and still make an impact. And you guys, please don't forget to leave any comments, any video suggestions. If you have someone who's interested in being featured on the podcast, please hit us up on Instagram at Two Hats Podcast, or you can also email us at Two Hats Podcast at gmail.com. All that information will be linked for you guys. Yeah, please make sure you guys like, share, and subscribe. Uh, make sure you follow. Um, we post on YouTube, and we're also on Spotify and I believe Google Play. So you can check us out however you want. Like I said, you know, it's, it's all audio. It's just put us on on your way to work, listen to a good episode, learn something, and you guys uh, be safe and be blessed out there. Happy 2021.